At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. This is Austin Carr from the Cleveland Cavaliers, and you're talking Cavs basketball with Kenny and JT on 1480 WHBC. Cavaliers a winner last night at home over the Phoenix Suns, 90-88 on an Evan Mobley 12-foot jumper. That after that big overtime win the other night when Donovan Mitchell went for 71 points. And the Cavaliers right now 25-14 and 14 on the year, one of the top four teams in the Eastern Conference and one of the top defensive teams at times in the NBA. To talk all about this right now, let's go to the hotline and bring in from HoopsWire.com senior NBA writer Sam Amico. Happy New Year, Sam, and thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy New Year to you guys. Always appreciate you making time for us, Sam. And uh, the Cavaliers, boy, playing a lot of exciting games, down to the wire games, overtime games. Uh, but at twenty-five and fourteen, uh, pretty impressive considering some of the injuries that they've had this year, Sam. Uh, to have twenty-five wins in their first thirty-nine games, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, along with obviously Darius Garland missing, you know, a lot of time at first with the eye injury. And now the, the spring thumb uh, had Mobley out a few games. Dean Wade, who had actually been, you know, a pretty critical part of the rotation, has been out a while. So, um, yeah, those injuries, first of all. And then secondly, you know, you're bringing in a guy like Donovan Mitchell, which uh, ha- has been fantastic, but you would assume that that's going to take some time to adapt and adjust. Um, but that's that's all gone seamlessly to this point. So uh, there's a lot of things that you know could have held them back, but you know here here they are, you know, right in the thick of the Eastern Conference race again. Sam, last night's game seems like they played down to the level of the competition, or do you feel that it's maybe the hangover from the 71 point performance a couple of nights earlier? I think it's a little of both. You know, I mean, they've shown throughout the season that they can play down to the level of their competition, particularly at home. Uh, They've done it a few times on the road, but you think back to the Thunder game, the Suns obviously have been struggling lately, uh, had the injury to Devin Booker and Cam Johnson, just have not been playing real well. So, you know, they played played down there. They played in in San Antonio, you know, got behind big and, and lost that game. So, there have definitely been time, and look, you know, his 82-game season, every team will do that from time to time. That's not a big mm-hmm. deal. I also do think, yes, you know, you expended so much in- energy in coming back from 21 points to beat the Bulls, 20, you know, two nights earlier, that, that's going to take a little bit out of you. So I, I give them credit for playing a really ugly game and trailing for most of the game and not looking like they had any any energy and were very flat and yet still coming out with a win against Phoenix because now they've got, you know, 
pretty good-sized road trip coming up right now, starting out west. Sam, we had Tim Alcorn on the other day, and I asked him the question. I want to ask you the same question. As it pertains to the 71-point performance by Donovan Mitchell, watching that game, when did it become apparent to you that he's about to, A, break a Cavaliers record, and B, be one of seven players to score 70 or more points in a game? Probably didn't become too apparent until, you know, he hit the layups to send the game into overtime that, okay, this is going to be more than just your usual 50-something point night because uh, now he's got, you know, he's got more time to do this and the game's tied. And uh, it's just, I, I, I just think, really, if you know, if you, that game too, Cavs were very flat the first half. Donovan Mitchell had five points at the end of the first quarter. Uh, and I just kept thinking, you know, I'm, I'm going to go do some laundry or something because <laughs> this this game is just not very exciting. They're not playing well. Uh, I, I've got better things to do. But kept sticking with it, kept sticking with it. They got it down to two, if you guys remember, 93-91. And it seems like every time the Cavs would do that, get it to two or four, the Bulls would go on like a four or six-point run. And I just thought they expended all their energy trying to get back. They're not going to win. But uh, Donovan Mitchell clearly had other ideas. So, you know, that was that in and of itself, just watching him be able to break down defenders and uh, just score at will when it seemed like he probably had nothing left at that point. It, it was something to see. Where does that rank, Sam, for you as far as uh, greatest games you've seen by an individual player in the NBA, regardless of Cavaliers or not? Well, you know, plenty of those with LeBron James, and, and, you know, not necessarily scoring, but just making that kind of impact. Being an older guy, I can tell you that, you know, having seen Michael Jordan 63 against the Celtics in the playoffs, that ranks way up there because of the timing of the year, you know, the, the the fact that it was a playoff game. But this is one of the top three or four for me anyway. Sam, I look at it and I go back to Magic Johnson, 42-15-7, game six, 1980 NBA Finals when Kareem was hurt. That one ranks up there for me. LeBron's 48 and double overtime at the Palace of Auburn Hills where he scored 25 straight, 29 of the last 30. And both of those were playoff games. So those to me are more important, like you said, Michael 63 at the Garden against Bird and the Celtics. But as far as regular season games go, just, uh, you know, and and I didn't watch Kobe's 81-point game from start to finish and and everything, just to watch him in the second half and and will that team to victory, especially even though it was illegal what he did with the free throw, but to at least get that shot off and, and put doubt in the referees' minds where they allowed that play to happen, his ability to will that team to win that game, especially in OT then, that, that ranks up there for me as far as a regular season game as number one. Yeah, I don't think that I've seen – I didn't see Kobe's either, but I don't think that I've seen a, a better individual regular season performance. You know, Jordan, of course, had 69 against the Cavs in 1990, um, and I did see that game. But, 
I, I think that this one was probably even better uh, just because of the way he put the game into overtime yep. with that uh, layup there at the end, the follow of the missed free throw. Yeah, maybe he left early. It looked like about six guys left early <laughs> right. on that play, including a couple of the Bulls. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I saw that shot, when he made the layup, I had no idea who made it at first. Me neither. Me too. Yep. Bounced off Robin Lopez's head and stuff. But I, <laughs> I, I just saw the ball go through the hoop and then didn't notice until until the replay that, that Mitchell actually did that. So the fact that it was so dramatic of a 71 points and then yeah. they really, you know, they rallied to make it happen and he pretty much put the team on his back and just willed them, to me that made it, you know, probably the best regular season one I've ever seen as far as an individual showing because the Cavs, like I said, were out of the game. And then for the, you know, just the way they came back and, and, and battled back, it was uh, it was something else. And then, of course, you know, you guys, I heard you talk about last night's game. They had 90 points or 19 more than Donovan Mitchell scored two nights earlier. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> I called that one too, Kenny. Remember? Oh, wow. Yesterday. Yeah, that's a- it's a great way to look mm-hmm. at it, Sam. I didn't think of it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Well, you know, you're not going to score 71 every night, but you have 20 last night, um, and they just they, they found a way, and, and the good news was they needed everything they could get from their defense there in the fourth quarter, and they, they really delivered. Sam, nice reference to uh... – Robin Lopez in that game because what do you think he's Jose Canseco? That ball's going to jump off his head and go into the, you know, like go over the home run porch or whatever it was. Yeah, I, I can tell you this too. In a related baseball news, <laughs> I was at an Indians game back when they were the Indians with Jeff Phelps one year, and somebody hit a foul ball. There was two strikes. The Indians two strikes. Somebody hit a foul ball. I think it was. I think it was Sorrento, and uh, it, I, I was sitting there with Jeff Phelps, and the ball came up towards us and bounced off of the top of Jeff's head and left a huge knot. And then, and then the next pitch, the batter struck out, and the game was over. So, you know, that's my one. You get the assist the top of the head memory. Uh, <laughs> nice. Probably twenty years ago, but it was well worth. Sam, here we are, 39 <laughs> games in. Injuries aside, J.B. Bickerstaff, your, your thought on his best rotation, or is it just a matter of we have to get healthy first? Well, I think, yeah, you have to get you have to get healthy. To me, guys, nobody's really claimed that starting small forward spot. You know, we kept hearing about it, and, you know, oh, Karis LeVert's in the running, and Isaac Okoro's in the running, and Dean Wade's in the running. Well, what we were hearing about, and it sounded like, you know, this was a great competition and all three guys deserved it. So far, what we've seen is really nobody's really stood up and claimed that spot. I, I, I think that Harris LeVert offered some nice things, just was not consistent. Lamar Stevens has offered some nice things. Again, not consistent. And the same with Isaac O'Connor and, of course, Dean Wade. Uh, has has been sidelined with injury for a while, but nobody really stood up and claimed that spot. So I think that's one area where the Cavs are really, you know, we want to get this short up 
before the playoffs and have a consistent starter in that spot. So that's going to play into it, and that's not really injury-related. That's personnel-related at this point. Um, you know, obviously they need to find somebody that they feel comfortable with besides Donovan Mitchell, who creates on his own, somebody just kind of a, you know, one of those guys, just a knockdown three-point shooter that kind of stands in the corners or stands on uh, a 45-degree angle and can just can just hit threes and defend just a little bit. So I think that it's pretty clear they're on the lookout for that. Okay, uh, Sam, let me know, interrupt you right there then. If they're on the lookout, who do you know might who do you know is available or who might be available for them to possibly trade and what do they have to offer in a trade to try and get that small forward from somewhere? Well, you know, I had on the website today that uh, Bogdanovich from the Pistons is a guy they would certainly have interest in. Now, he wouldn't come cheap. He's having a career year. He just signed a two-year extension with the Pistons before the season after being traded from the Jazz. On the plus side, he has played and started a long time with Donovan Mitchell in Utah, and uh, he's he's quite a talent. I mean, 21.1 points per game this year, playing in a situation that's not great, can really knock down three. Those are all the great things. The bad things are the Pistons aren't going to just give him away. Uh, they like what he brings to that team. He wouldn't come cheap. So if you're the Cavs, yeah, maybe you don't really take another big swing uh, to bring that kind of guy in because you'd have to give up quite a bit. More realistically, somebody like Alec Burks, who's also playing for the Pistons in his first year there, having an outstanding season. They are very open to moving him. He is knocking down threes this year. You know, usually Alec Burks is a guy who's more of a mid-range player. He's really been knocking down the threes this season, which is creating some trade interest in him. Uh, So, you know, I think that they will go out and try to make a trade to get, if it's not an Alex Burke, uh, somebody like that, you know, somebody who's a veteran player who can give you 10 to 15 minutes a game, come in and hit some three-pointers and uh, space the offense and, 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 you know, open up the floor a little bit so that Mitchell and Garland and the others can do their thing. Sam Amico, our guest. Follow him on Twitter at Amico Hoops. Uh, see his writing at HoopsWire.com. He's their senior NBA writer. Real quick, Sam, uh, Burke, he spent half a season with the Cavaliers. Did he not uh, a few years ago? Didn't they get him in a trade from Utah? Yeah, he he played a few seasons back with the Cavs. Uh, again, when he was when he was in Cleveland, you know, more or less a mid-range guy who's who's going to hit the 10 to 15 footer has extended that range, but they're very familiar with him. He liked it in Cleveland. Uh, they liked him. That and and you know, more importantly, Kenny, in any of these trade scenarios, you don't want to have to mortgage you know your yeah. entire bench to go get a guy. You probably would have to do to get somebody like Bogdanovich, um, and they don't have any picks. You know, teams are looking for picks for the, and they they just don't have any. They gave them all up in the Mitchell trade. So he's a guy that, you know, like I said, if it's not Alex Burke, it probably would be somebody like him. And if they can't do it via trade, they probably will take a look at the list of veteran free agents who are available right now and go that route. 
Sam, as you look at the NBA right now as we approach the midway point, in your opinion, who is the best team in the NBA? Who potentially might be the best team in the NBA by the end of the regular season? Well, right now, if I had to make a pick, I'd probably say the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> I mean, either them or the Nets, and you never know when the Nuts are going to implode. But that's the great thing about the NBA this year, guys. We have no idea right now, and we're at the midway yeah. point, you know, which is extremely rare at this point of the season. So I suspect the Bucks, Celtics, Nets, Nuggets, um, and maybe the Warriors will pull it together as well probably all in the conversation for the best team this season. Sam, we always appreciate the time. Great insight, as always. Keep up the fantastic work there at HoopsWire.com, and we'll have everybody follow you at Amico Hoops on Twitter as well. All right, my friend? All right, guys. Thanks so much for having me, and we will uh, chat at you soon, I'm sure.